Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Major Mondays webinar series. Uh, this is for May 11th, 2020. Uh, today, we're going to be going over the basics of civil litigation in New York. And as always, this is uh, a live question and answer session. So uh, if you have any questions, just fill them out in the box you see on your screen, and we'll get to them at the end of the presentation. So any discussion of civil litigation has to begin and uh, often end with uh, the statutes of limitations. So New York, the most common one we're going to deal with is three years for personal injury actions. That includes motor vehicle accidents. Um, there's a big exception, and we're gonna get into that in a minute. That's for uh, suits against public entities, municipalities like the city of New York, public corporations, things like that, or uh, against the state of New York. The, just for an overview of some of the specific case types, product liability is three years, MedMal is two and a half years. There are a couple of uh, different exceptions uh, for continuous treatment, uh, foreign object being left in the body, failure to diagnose cancer, wrongful death. Um, legal malpractice is three years, uh, wrongful death, two years from the date of death, and intentional torts, these are your assaults, batteries, things of that nature, uh, one year from the date of wrongdoing. So as anyone who's tuned into these uh, webinars before knows, I like to put a bit of a workers' compensation spin on every topic, because uh, that's our bread and butter here at Lois Law Firm. Uh, and I, I greatly enjoy the overlap because I'm a nerd. Uh, so let's talk about a special workers' comp subrogation issue here. Uh, I mentioned just a moment ago about the abbreviated statutes of limitations for suits against municipalities under General Municipal Law 50E and suits against the state of New York under the Court of Claims Act. So uh, what is at stake here? And this is important for subrogation and for carriers. Um, I cited to a couple of different cases here, but just to give the overview, uh, a notice of claim against a municipality like the city of New York or a public corporation has to be filed within 90 days of the date of loss. Thereafter, the time to actually file the suit is one year and 90 days from the date of loss. Uh, for a suit against the Court of Claims or suit in the Court of Claims against the state of New York, the, a notice of intention to file claim has to be served on the attorney general within the first 90 days, uh, or the claim itself has to be filed within the first 90 days. If you go the notice of intention route, uh, then you have two years from the date of loss to actually commence the suit. So how does this affect carriers? Let's say we have a uh, claimant that's not particularly on the ball, or uh, they have an attorney that uh, may miss the statute. That's a potential legal malpractice uh, suit in itself. Um, but I'm signing to a case here, Atlantic Mutual Insurance Co. versus State of New York. It's a third department decision from 1976. And I, uh, I love the language here. It must be conceded that the claimant carrier strictly complied with the provisions of both the Court of Claims Act and the workman's compensation law. And what do they mean by that? Well, the carrier actually, to protect their subrogation interests, filed a notice of intention to file claim within 90 days. And this decision points out that such a prospective filing is permissible, it cites to an older case, matter of Johnson versus State of New York. Uh, and the carrier served the requisite section 29.2 notice of their intent to subrogate so that they could perfect the statutory assignment. So let's look at uh, some added uh, wrinkles here. So another third department decision from 1976, Aetna Casualty uh, versus Sandy Hill Corp, uh, third department. 
the requirements under Section 29 do not toll the statute of limitations. So what am I talking about here? Well, Section 29 subrogation is premature uh, unless it's either six months after the awarding of compensation or one year after the date of loss. So if you think about it practically, the carrier is never able to file, in theory, a suit against the state of New York in the court of claims timely, right? Because to actually, you can file the notice of intention to file claim, and then you'll have two years. But if you want to actually go the route of filing the claim itself within the first uh, 90 days, the carrier can't. They haven't had their rights assigned yet. They needed to wait six months from the awarding of compensation or a year from the date of loss. So there's some litigation over the issue of whether or not uh, the requirements under Section 29 will toll the statute of limitations. The answer is they don't. And this is why uh, carriers need to be extra vigilant about getting these notices out the door as soon as possible. Um, Hartford Insurance Company versus City of New York. Now we're dealing with the municipal law instead of the court of claims. Um, this is an interesting one, second department from 2006. The carrier is entitled to rely on the claimant's notice of claim as subrogate. So the claimant files a notice of claim within the first 90 days, never brings the suit, carrier perfects their rights under section 29.2. Carrier is allowed to rely on that prior notice of claim. The inverse is not true. Uh, Angulo versus City of New York, second department decision from 2008, uh, the claimant is not entitled to rely on the carrier's notice of claim. And if you think about this in the context of subrogation, it kind of makes sense. Uh, we cannot file a notice of claim on the claimant's behalf and then assign our cause of action to him when he lost his, him or her, when they lost their uh, cause of action by virtue of failing to file within the first 90 days. So subrogation is an assignment from claimant to carrier, but never from carrier to claimant. Um, so it's interesting that the carrier has to be very careful to get out these notices within the first 90 days or risk losing the right to sue public entities. So that's gonna end our little foray into the workers' compensation world for the time being. Uh, so let's talk about the New York dockets and e-filing. Uh, Web Civil Supreme eCourts uh, is one of the dockets that's most frequently used. That's for a broad overview of the case. There's no e-filing capability on that. Uh, NICEF, the New York State Courts Electronic Filing System, that's where all the e-filing happens. Um, New York has adopted mandatory e-filing, which is uh, frankly the greatest thing. Uh, I very much enjoy it over the paper service and the paper filing and all that other stuff, but um, there are mandatory programs under the uniform uh, court rules, and then there's a consensual program where you have to obtain the consent of the defendants to actually continue with the e-filing. But uh, all documents must be e-filed. However, consent is required in some cases. Those are matrimonial, election law, Article 70 or 78 suits, foreclosure, consumer credit, mental hygiene, et cetera. Uh, but, the, but you're still required to serve the notice of electronic filing as the plaintiff. So the CPLR, anyone who's dealt with New York has heard that uh, little abbreviation before, uh, CPLR and jurisdiction. So almost all civil litigation issues are contained in the New York Civil Practice Law and Rules, the CPLR for short. Uh, filing in Supreme Court is typical. The Supreme Court is a court of general jurisdiction. However, if the amount in controversy is less than 25K, it may get transferred to the local civil court. Uh, this is why you'll see in complaints um, that there's always an allegation that the damages exceed all lower limits 
and so essentially saying my damages are over 25,000, so you can't remove this. Uh, and we just mentioned before the uniform trial trial rules. Uh, this is 22 New York Code Rules and Regulations, 202 for the Supreme and Trial Courts, 206 for the Court of Claims. Again, that's for suits against the state of New York. So we went over this uh, already, but the notice of claim within 90 days for suits against the city of New York or other municipalities, uh, and then you get to file in Supreme Court thereafter. That's uh, for these suits against public entities, public corporations, not the state of New York. Uh, you may have heard of a 50H hearing. That's the public entity or public defendant's opportunity to do a sort of pre-litigation deposition of the person filing the claim. Uh, state of New York, again, you got to file the claim or notice of intention within the first 90 days, then you have two years. Uh, the Court of Claims Act controls with regard to litigation against the state of New York. Uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, you have to be on the ball with the service here because the attorney general must receive the claim or the notice of intention within 90 days. So service is not perfected by dropping it in the mailbox. They need to actually have it on their desk, the attorney general, within the 90 days. Uh, and certain defendants must also be served uh, in addition to the attorney general, City University of New York, Thruway Authority, et cetera. Um, now, once you get into suing the City University of New York, then there's some overlap with the education law, but that's that's a whole other, uh, whole other uh, batch of issues there that we can go into at quite some length. Uh, so filing fees, CPLR, uh, 8018, 8020, and 8022. Uh, just have a list of the most common fees here than the, obtaining an index, which is essentially index number, which is essentially filing the case, $210. Request for judicial intervention, 95. Uh, and I'm not going to go through each of them, but those are the most common fees in terms of filing. So the first stage of litigation is the pleadings. So you commence the action by filing a summons and complaint and obtaining an index number, that's the docket. Summons and complaint have to be served within 120 days of filing the action with the court. Uh, personal service or service upon secretary of state for corporations, uh, or there's such a thing as nail and mail service. Uh, the answer is due within 20 days for personal delivery within New York on the defendant or 30 days all other times. Uh, and if the answer is not filed, this is where the plaintiff should be considering uh, a motion to enter default. And if default is entered, then the motion for the to enter the actual default judgment. So one of my favorite litigation tools here, the CPLR 3211 pre-answer motion to dismiss. This is essentially saying I read the complaint and the facts as alleged here don't support a cause of action for one of the following reasons. Uh, so a cause of action is sub subject to dismissal under this rule. So this is not just the complaint. This is cross claims, counterclaims, things like that. Uh, the court is going to review in a light most favorable to the non-moving party. So they're going to look at the allegations in the cause of action that's sought to be dismissed and say, if all of this is true, should it still be kicked out? Um, there's various grounds under CPLR 3211, defense based upon documentary evidence, no personal or subject matter jurisdiction, no legal capacity to sue, failure to state a cause of action, et cetera. Uh, all defenses other than lack of subject matter jurisdiction, failure to state a cause of action, and failure to join a necessary party may be waived if they're not raised when this motion or the answer is filed. 
So let's talk for a moment about discovery. Uh, CPLR 3101 has continuing disclosure requirements, and there's another interesting overlap with uh, Compeer in that uh, the board has not quite adopted CPLR uh, 3101I, uh, in that you can still wait for the claimant's testimony before disclosing investigative materials. But in civil court, those are required disclosure under CPLR 3101. Uh, very common in personal injury actions in terms of a discovery device. You may have heard of the Bill of Particulars. Uh, responses due within 30 days, uh, and it must be verified if the pleading is verified or if it's a negligence action. So they're almost always verified in terms of what we're dealing with for subrogation. Uh, depositions, 20 days notice. Uh, once the 20 days notice is served, the other party can demand uh, a deposition of the other party uh, with 10 days notice in response. Uh, this is in the interest of getting everyone together and getting them all done in one day. Uh, then we have subpoenas, uh, ad te testificandum for, testi for testimony or duces tecum for documents slash evidence. Continuing with our discovery devices here, uh, CPLR 3120 has the notice for discovery and inspection. Response is due within 20 days after service. That's uh, essentially the notice to produce documents. That's where you're producing all the documents and things and evidence um, in response to the notice to produce. Uh, there's a notice of deposition upon written questions, um, and then there's a demand for answers to interrogatories. And interrogatories are a common discovery device in New Jersey, but not so much in New York because you cannot do a bill of particulars and also demand answers to interrogatories. So in personal injury actions, uh, these interrogatories are not all that common. Uh, in terms of the end of discovery, the court will set a due date for what's called a note of issue. Uh, this is something that the plaintiff files to say, hey, my case is ready for trial, uh, discovery is completed. So we'll go briefly into motion practice here. Uh, so there's the 8-2 rule or the 16-7-1 rule for service. Uh, the 8-2 rule is that the, mo the minimum uh, notice you can provide before the actual return date for the motion is eight days. And in that case, um, the, other the opposing party is permitted to uh, file responding papers two days before the actual return date. The 16-7-1 rule, uh, which is something that I highly recommend taking advantage of because it gives you a second bite at the apple, if the motion served at least 16 days in advance, then their response is due at least seven days in advance and you can actually make the demand that the response be given within seven days and or, or uh, at least seven days before the return date and argue that it shouldn't be considered if it's not you're rarely ever going to get away with it but it's an argument to make and then one day before the return date you're allowed to file a response to their reply papers so it's a chance to get the last word in before the hearing and highly recommended um, this is generally the first time that the court's going to get involved in litigation in New York. Party typically files what's called a request for judicial intervention with the motion if it's the first motion being filed in the case. Uh, that's what, you know, pricks the court's ears up, makes them take notice, and puts them on a calendar. Uh, the components of a motion include the notice of motion, affidavit of service, uh, the affidavit, affirmation, or certification and support, and a proposed form of order. Summary judgment. Uh, the favorite motion. So uh, summary judgment motion has to be filed no earlier than 30 days after the note of issue is filed. So remember, that's kind of our discovery end date. 
uh, but no later than 120 days after the note of issue is filed. So there's a small window there in which to get it done. And this is rigidly enforced. Uh, I would not mess around with the 120 day time limit at all. Uh, the standard for summary judgment is there's no genuine issue of material slash triable fact as to each allegation. And this is the complaint and the bill of particulars. The bill of particulars is considered to uh, enhance the allegations in the complaint. Uh, again, this is gonna be in a light more favorable to the non-moving party. Uh, but as opposed to the 3211 motion to dismiss, this is not based on allegations. This is based on the discovery that you've had so far. So everyone's had a chance to look at it and produce the evidence and produce the statements and do depositions. And now you're saying this person does not have a case. Uh, the evidence and support has to be admissible at trial. Uh, and just as a practical matter, negligence actions rarely result in summary judgment. Uh, if you think about it, the negligence itself, the issue of negligence is an issue of fact, uh, but nonetheless, this is a powerful settlement tactic. So oftentimes uh, in defending uh, self-insureds or uh, carriers, it will file the uh, summary judgment motion just to leverage some of the more lazy uh, plaintiff's attorneys into uh, coming to the table to actually earnestly discuss settlement. The note of issue and trial. So again, the note of issue, this is our completion of discovery and the plaintiff certifies their readiness for trial. Uh, once an RJI is filed, like I said, you're gonna get on the court assembly line here. They're gonna schedule a preliminary conference and compliance conferences thereafter. Uh, the pre preliminary conference is to set a plan for the completion of discovery. The compliance conferences are to make sure that plan's actually being followed. Uh, just in terms of how it usually shakes out, those are gonna get adjourned time and time again, especially if the parties are actually talking settlement and they mean it. Uh, after the final compliance conference, the court will set a due date for the note of issue. And uh, the note of issue is accompanied by a certificate of readiness uh, for trial. And that's the chance to make the actual jury demand. So let's talk about what happens post-trial, post-judgment, appeals. Notice of appeal has to be filed within 30 days of service of the order or judgment with notice of entry. So the clock starts ticking once the order or judgment plus notice of entry has actually been served, 30 days from that date. Uh, the county courts in the third and fourth departments hear appeals from city slash town slash village courts. Uh, there are limited appellate terms in the first and second departments. They'll hear appeals from New York City civil and criminal courts. Uh, second department also has jurisdiction over appeals from civil and criminal cases originating in district, city, town, village courts, and uh, non-felony county court appeals. But where the majority of our appeals end up going and usually end up stopping is uh, the individual appellate division departments. So New York has four departments to hear appeals from superior courts or from lower appeals, such as the appellate terms. Uh, these are separated by county. Uh, everyone knows the workers' compensation board appeals uh, ultimately go to the third department. Uh, just in terms of jurisdiction. Uh, the appeal must be perfected within six months before a date will be assigned uh, to address the appeal. Uh, what counts as perfecting the appeal depends on the, depends on the different appellate division. Uh, it may require just having the entire trial record filed with the court or uh, any, any and all papers. The different method of perfection depends on which department the appeal is being taken to. Uh, they have their own rules. 
And the highest court we have is the Court of Appeals. And CPLR 5601 lists some appeals you get to take as of right. Uh, otherwise, you need a motion for leave under CPLR 5602. Uh, and in either case, it's uh, 30 days to take that appeal from the department up to the Court of Appeals. And let's talk about the ending of the case. Settlement and discontinuance. Uh, so defendants will typically prepare a general release for the plaintiff to execute. This will release the defendants from uh, any and all liability. Uh, they're pretty comprehensive. Practically, um, as a defense counsel, uh, you should be crafting these very carefully and making sure that any and all entities associated with the defendant are discharged from liability, not just the carrier, but the TPA and the employer and everyone else. Um, so these should be uh, crafted very carefully by defense counsel. And the inverse is also true. If you're subrogating as the plaintiff, don't accept a form general release from the defendants. Take the opportunity to negotiate the terms and prepare your own. Uh, I mean, you just never know where the case is going to go even after there's supposedly a settlement agreement in place. Uh, defendants usually require the plaintiff or uh, the attorney's office to produce a W-9 for tax purposes. Uh, that's for issuance of the settlement check. And the action is formally brought to a close upon the filing of a stipulation of settlement or a stipulation of discontinuance with with the court in which the action is pending so that's going to do it for the presentation portion let's take a look to see if we have any questions before we part and i am not seeing any questions so i think we're good on that front uh, so this is christopher major with lois law firm uh, signing off. I hope you'll join us next month, uh, June 8th, for the Major Mondays webinar series. Uh, that's going to be on the basics of civil litigation in New Jersey. Uh, and stay safe, everyone.